0: Hello and welcome to the Fat-Tailed Thoughts podcast. We're joined here, as always, by Jared Klee. Jared, how are you? How are you,
1: Stephen? I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. good.
0: It's the end of the week. The sun is shining. The dog's asleep on the couch behind me. Life is good. We, we've got open streets starting
1: here in New York, so they're shutting down the streets, no cars, walk back and forth. To-go cocktails are officially back on the menu, so it's, it's going
0: to be a good weekend. I'm looking forward to it. I'm down in the city Tuesday, so hopefully uh, you don't break it between now and Tuesday.
1: There we go. So, we'll be all right. So
0: episode 26, that means we've been doing this for half a year, which is kind of insane.
1: It's wild. Absolutely wild.
0: A lot of fun. So we'll dive straight in here. On the podcast, if you're not a regular listener, every week we talk about the makings of money, finance, crypto and markets. One of the big market events this week has been earnings announcements from Netflix and a particularly precipitous drop in their share price as a result. Um, Jared, let's dive straight in. The newsletter, great job of describing some of the business models. We'll dive into that, but Netflix, get us started.
1: Uh, th- that was a $10 word to describe what happened there, precipitous Did you drop. like that?
0: Did you like that? <laughs> <laughs> My English teacher from high school is very proud of me right now.
1: I'm sure. I'm sure. So, so, I mean, the short version is Netflix for the first time in a decade actually lost subscribers. They had projected uh, growth. They lost subscribers and the share price went off a cliff. It fell 25% And after hours. I think it's down plus or minus 40% from where it was prior to earnings announcement. Um, I actually, so, so lots and lots of commentary on what happened and why and how. From the earnings call, the most interesting point that was made, CEO and co-founder Reed Hastings came out and basically opened the door to a to a, an advertising model. Now, historically, Netflix has been uh, strictly subscription only. They've got different tiers. They've got a basic all the way up to a premium, but it's been subscription only. That is a bit odd on the global stage when you think about the, the accessibility of videos through TikTok, through YouTube, um, as, as potential competitors, or when you think about something like Hulu that has an ad and subscription model. Netflix has been odd in doing subscription only. It's now opening the door. That really, really troubles me um i've I've yet to see an an ad plus subscription model that works together. ads are fine, subscription is fine together you basically get a mess,
0: yeah, and it's interesting. We were talking about it before we joined the show. I obviously come from the u k if you've not picked up where this accent's from um most people get it, so I'm surprised if you don't listeners but um it's really interesting coming from a country where we have a national t v service. A radio service and news service that is all funded by a royal charter which we pay 159 pounds a year for the privilege tax whatever it's a federal tax that's basically skimmed off the top and then the the queen is actually in charge of the bbc via royal charter now It's really interesting coming from a country like that, where TV's got that as the high watermark, to the US, where it's always been a commercial model with so many adverts. And then I turned off cable probably six years ago, and have just had subscription-only services since then. It's just been really interesting, I think, talking about some of the dynamics. So as we do on the show, you broke down what that means from a markets point of view and what the, some of the incentive structures. I think, you know, everybody's going to get this. Everybody's watched TV. This isn't startup equity that we've covered or the the sort of mechanics in um, the premium watch market. You know, these everybody understands TV. But I think you did a fantastic job in the newsletter of breaking down some of the incentive structures. So maybe let's go there first and talk about that because I think people are going to get it. But I think it's worthwhile breaking those, down.
1: Yeah, I I wrote about it, actually, because having read a lot of commentary about what happened and should they do advertising and how could it work and so on, I I actually got pretty annoyed with with a lot of the commentary. I think it generally missed the key issue, which is let's take a, a basic subscription model it's very straightforward. You've got a producer, you've got a consumer. The producer creates a product, the consumer uses it and pays for it. It's it's this two party, very straightforward relationship that we kind of take for granted. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got a different way of monetizing a product. It's an advertising model. You quote unquote, give it away for free. The producer gives it away for free to the consumer. The consumer technically pays, But they're not paying in money they pay in data in eyeballs and attention the producer then sells a second product it's the money generating one they sell it to the advertiser the advertiser pays for that product and then delivers ads to the consumer it's effectively a two product model but ultimately the consumer feels like they're getting the product for free that can be a wildly successful model Challenge comes in when you try and smash those two together, when the producer tries to sort of give a product away for free, but then charge a little bit for it, basically a discounted product. Inherently, there's nothing wrong with that model. The problem comes from the incentives, which is let's just take a a very simple example. If you say, hey, I'm going to charge you $5 a month for a streaming service, and If you pay $10, you get no ads, but at the $5 tier, you get subscription and ads. But then you promise, let's say, we'll we'll never run ads longer than 30 seconds. Fine. And we'll do it only every 15 minutes. Fine. Well, when your biggest advertiser comes in and says, hey, we just did this award-winning ad campaign, but it's 35 seconds long, I mean, what's the difference between 30 and 35 seconds? It doesn't really. So you let them run it. It's this incremental degradation of product quality, and it happens insidiously, it happens slowly over time, but at some point you wake up and you've wrecked the product. So what you've done is rather than than maintain a, a fair exchange of value with the consumer, either it's free and I get to do what I want, or you pay and I try and incrementally deliver more value, the producer effectively double dips. They say, Hey, we're gonna charge you a price and then incrementally makes the product worse over time. And that is, it's, oh, it's really hard to, to, to get that right. In fact, I've never seen it done
0: successfully I, I, The uh, in what you just said, gives away your intentions and your thoughts on this. I think the other thing that comes here is the quality of the TV program itself. So, I can't, I'll can't. i try and find the article and put it in the show notes, but I read an article about how Netflix had changed the model of how producers of content actually change their story. If you know you've got to make a show that's about 48 minutes long because there's going to be adverts in it four times in the hour, you know when those adverts are going to come. As a producer of that show, you know that the viewer is going to be disrupted every 12, 13 minutes, so your story arc of the show changes and will go up and down depending on when you know the natural breaks are happening. That's a very different creative thought process than if there's an hour, use all of it or some of it, go write the story that makes the most sense and is the most engaging. The story might drift for half an hour, have all the action right at the and an unusual time in that hour and then go somewhere else because that's the right thing to tell the story but the wrong thing to fit adverts into that hour-long segment. Netflix have changed the model. The other piece I'd like to talk about is what shows get made in the first place. Going back to the BBC, the Blue Planet and some of these other documentary shows, they cost a fortune to make. Are they the best commercial product for selling adverts? Probably not, but they cost a fortune to make. I'm not saying we should all move to a federal tax system and a Royal Charter, but it it means that different TV gets made in the very first instance, right? because the incentive structure is set up that we just want people to watch the series because then we want them to see good things on the subscription service. You know, would Squid Game, would, you know, go through, would stranger things be made if it was an ad-based service? I mean, y- yes, you could probably argue it would, but would it be the same quality and would it get the same sort of level of review? So I think there's, there's a number of different incentive structures that come to play here.
1: You, you, you Stephen, you're, you're spot on. And, and to continue that thought, the, the, When you have a vanilla producer-consumer relationship, the incentives are completely aligned. It's the only way the producer makes money if it's Netflix or another content. If it's a newspaper, I mean, we can talk about any content business here. The only way they make money is by incrementally delivering more value to the consumer. Now, that may be real value in terms of new content and be perceived value in terms of marketing. But at the end of the day, the consumer is saying, I like it. I'm willing to give you money today. And maybe when you increase the price tomorrow, I'm willing to give you more money because I still like it. And you've delivered me more value and I'm willing to up, pay up for that. The moment you put an advertiser in there, the consumer is no longer the driver of the producer's revenue. So they are not, they are not the reason that the product's improving. What they are is they are the product. It's their data. It's their attention that's being delivered to the advertiser. And insofar as the content encourages them to spend more time, more attention, it will improve in that regard. But that may actually be a worse, objectively, a worse quality product. We see this in the newspaper world or rather the online news world ad nauseum. News is no longer news. Most of it is clickbait. Well yeah, you and it's not because it's quality, it's because it drives advertising spent.
0: Yeah, you made an interesting point there. You mentioned newspapers. So we're we're here talking about what Netflix may do at some point in the future. But we can wind this clock forward and look at another type of media, and we've seen this play out already, so it's not as if we're crystal ball gazing of what potentially could happen, what may happen. We can draw a straight line back from another source of media and say, what has happened? And you did a good job of this in the newsletter, describing what's happened in the newspaper space. You talked about the the sort of arc that Warren Buffett's been on. You talked about where... Um, the advertising models have kind of destroyed regional news. Maybe just go there for the listeners who maybe haven't read the newsletter. you should by the way, but maybe haven't. just give us that view sort of the looking in the rear view mirror view of and 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 how that can translate
1: so so even before I jump into that, I have to recommend if you haven't read warren buffett's letters to the shareholders they go all the way back if you read all the way back to to the original buffett uh partnership that predates berkshire hathaway they go back to the 1960s and they are among the best education you can possibly have they are all available on his website there's another lawrence i believe cunningham put together a a compendium compendium of them where he chopped them up and organized them by topic it is a phenomenal education Much One of the nice things for the purposes of this conversation, Warren Buffett historically has been a huge newspaper enthusiast. And understandably, in historical context, it was a wonderful business model. Now, what's interesting, Buffett's clearly no dummy. Over time, that model completely fell apart. So you actually have a really nice chronology of great business into, as he called it, toast. By the end, throughout his letters, in a very thoughtful approach. So go back in time, lo- small local town, no internet. If you were opening a town, launching a new product, doing a special for dinners on Friday, there was one place to advertise. It was the local newspaper. That was your megaphone to get out to people and say, hey, come look. And a really important point there when you bought the local newspaper, you were as much interested in the advertisements as you were in the local news, because the advertisements of, oh, hey, there's a discount on yogurt at the grocery store this week. That is news. That is informing your day-to-day. That's actually super, super, super helpful. Well, the nature of of a local business is one, they've got a monopoly. It's not like you're gonna buy the next town over uh, paper. So it can be highly, Monopolies tend to be highly lucrative. Two, folks aren't generally going to buy two local newspapers. They're going to buy one. So it drives what Buffett calls a survival of the fattest approach. Whichever newspaper has the most eyeballs is going to get the most advertisers because they're going to nationally glom on. So in fairly short order, unless you live in a massive market like New York City, you kind of end up with one local newspaper, and then that never goes away. Well, the problem with that model, inherent in that model, is a conflict. Yes, advertisements are useful, but only up to a point. So the term from the, from the uh, journalism world called a news hole, which is what percentage of the newspaper itself is devoted to news versus ads. So Buffett famously owned Buffalo News for years and years and years, had a news hole. They drew the line at 50%, meaning of this space, by the way, ignoring the inserts, <laughs> of this space in the newspaper, 50% of it was devoted to journalism, news, the like, the other 50% to advertisements, including like the editorials, uh, sorry, the, the, the classifieds section. At the time Buffett was writing, this was early 80s, averages nationwide were about 30%, meaning 70% of the newspaper was ads, and 30% was actual news. Well, it turns out when you give local businesses another megaphone, a Yelp, a Google Maps, a Craigslist, a, a take your pick of the online service, they're gonna start advertising there instead you rip out the bottom from underneath the newspaper. They don't generate revenue anymore. Well, the response for the vast majority was simply, okay, we'll pack more ads in. Well, the, the newspaper is not getting any longer. So the only way to pack more ads in is to deliver less and less news. Well, this starts a, a basically a, a death spiral. as you lose As you lose advertisers... You add as, or as you drop prices, either one, you try and cram more ads in. That creates a worse quality product, so subscribers leave, so you have less revenue, so you pack in more, So you get, a, and eventually you simply go out of business. And it turns out
0: you do so really, really quickly. Well, and you look at what's happening to the newspapers. The ones that have survived are the ones that have got the best reputation for news, and have managed to keep either the quality of the news they do actually produce high enough that you're willing to subscribe, or there's enough content there that you're willing to subscribe, or but, but, you're seeing people like you go and set up Substacks where there is no advertising model, and all you're doing is pay- well, we don't subs- we don't charge for the subscription for the Fat Tail Thoughts, but that doesn't mean that people on there aren't paying. And so you get to that model and people are deciding with their monthly budgets of where they can put their money and they're going to put it where they get the most valuable content for the least amount of money, uh, I would argue. But,
1: and, and I would tell you, even the newspaper world, even though we're, we're, we're saying some have succeeded because they had high quality, yeah, sort of. I mean, yes, Wall Street Journal owned by Dow Jones, still m- kind of, sort of independent, but... but uh, your Washington Post, not independent anymore. Time Magazine, not independent anymore. The, the list is getting shorter and shorter. Even though you've got a survival of the fattest, you've only got a handful that are left. The problem is they they keep degrading the quality of what they're delivering because advertisers aren't just competing across newspapers. They're going and delivering ads on Google, on Facebook, on take your pick of the other platform. And that pulls the rug out from underneath the newspapers. Mm-hmm. As a result, they can't, people aren't willing to pay with free alternatives like Substack. People aren't willing to pay more for the subscription. So the only way the newspapers can make more money is to degrade the quality of the product. We'll get rid of our investigative team. We'll get rid, I mean, it's every week we see a new announcement about the news quality getting worse and worse and worse. It's kind of inevitable in the business model. And, And by the way, it hurts me. My local newspaper, is from where I grew up, is worse than it was when I, when I was young and growing up. It pains me because it, it's a problem for local businesses. They don't have a place to locally advertise. When I go home and I want to find out about how the local sports teams do, it's really difficult to discover that now. There's no natural home. But the flip side is I'm also quite realistic about the economics. The incentive model of trying to combine a subscription model and an advertising model in the same thing, it doesn't work. The incentives are too strong to simply degrade the product while charging the same price. And naturally, that leads to people leaving and you end up in the deathbed.
0: So we can use what's happening in the newspaper space to go back we, I I always look forward to when you send me the newsletter every week of like what rant is Jared on this week. Um, obviously from some of your reactions here and the fact that you took probably four or five hours to research that letter, if I know you, um, what do you think? Net and I've got we talked about this before the show. I've got some opinions I've opined on on social media platforms. What do you think of the alternative models? And then let's make it super specific. What do you think Netflix should do? So so
1: Netflix, and, and I'm going to call out, again, co-founder and, and CEO Reed Hastings, the guy is wicked smart. Firstly, let's go back in time. Netflix founded in 1977. It was a DVD mailing service. They are now a streaming service. This is not a guy who's a stranger to massive business model shifts. He gets it. He's clearly executed well in the past. I have expect he's, he will be able, with whatever good probabilities you can in a scenario like this, be able to execute on another business model shift. Importantly, he has been openly acknowledging for a number of years now, they are not fundamentally in the streaming business. They are in the attention business. He has come out and said, our biggest competition is not Disney+. Plus. It's not the now-defunct CNN+. Plus. Our biggest competition is Fortnite our biggest competition is flipping through uh videos and pictures on instagram and TikTok? it's you have leisure time you have something going on in the background we want you to spend your attention on netflix rather than on all the other things you could be doing there's a lot of other things that fit neatly within a streaming model that could buy for attention that netflix isn't doing today streaming video games immediately comes to mind it's something that they've talked about i know is nascent but that is something i would expect i don't know whether Twitch switch
0: is nascent to be fair to to where that business is i mean esports personally i don't get it but we've seen that we've seen madison square garden sold out for esports and that's people sit so if you if you don't know what that is That's people sitting watching other people play video games and people pay through Patreon and through Twitch and various other platforms to watch people play video games online. I don't know whether that still is nascent or whether maybe not fully mainstream, but there's certainly people maybe younger than us that are doing that on a regular basis at scale.
1: Absolutely, and, and video games—just for context—180 billion dollar industry in North America alone. It's bigger than movie theaters and sports combined. I mean, video games are massive. Twitch is owned by Amazon, um, so they've had a bunch of money plowed into them in, in a fairly short period of time. And yes, uh, viewership has gone up and up and up. But there's an there's an open uh, there's an open avenue here, not just for streaming watching video games, but streaming playing video games. And that is very much nascent. We only have a handful. I mean, Fortnite, PUBG, uh, et etc. are large. But that is a rapidly growing market with lots and lots of room across many different platforms. Um, you think about the, the uh, PC world, you, you basically just have um, uh, a single platform that's delivering all of the video games there, it's not really a social experience in the way that it could be. It's not, there's enormous amounts of, there's enormous room to to go deliver more. If we go talk about the the sports industry, that is just slowly being picked at right now. Amazon's got a toe in the water. Peacock has a toe in the water. Everyone's got a toe in the water. There's enormous room there to deliver a fantastic experience far better than, say, the cable news commercials every three minutes versus what we have today online, which is patchwork at
0: best. Well, I've had this conversation with a friend of mine who's an NHL fan. He's a New York Rangers fan. And I'm like, can't you get a package that is just the Rangers games? It's really hard to do that. There's local blackouts, there's cable news, Get uh, cable channels get involved in the equation. They want to package it up and he has to buy a package with everything in it. Then he gets games he doesn't want. Netflix as a platform is perfectly set up for sports. I'm a Leicester Tigers fan. I subscribe to Peacock. I pay my money. They do a pretty decent job of delivering me, my rugby. I only watch Leicester Tigers and England games. I care less what happens to the other 11 teams in the league. Mildly interested when they turn up and play my team about who's there. I think I've watched one game of rugby all season that wasn't involving my team. If Netflix came to me and went, here's a sub-channel within the sports section that says, this is only the Leicester Tigers games and I could just watch that sub-channel, that would be the perfect experience to me. There is a raft of content in the sports. There's hundreds of sports out there that have niche followings right up to huge global sports, like like soccer, like football. Yes, I'm British, and I said the word soccer, but I was going to say football after it. So English Premier League. I've opined on this. Why doesn't Netflix go by the global sole rights to the English Premier League? Take it off every other broadcaster and every other network. Go spend a significant chunk of the 17 billion content budget that they've got and go declare war on every broadcaster and every network around the world and go, if you want to watch the English Premier League, There is one place to watch it, and it's Netflix. Now that might cost them ten billion to do. I don't know what the global rights for the English Premier League are, but that there is enough. Formula One would have that same effect. I think the NFL would have a similar effect. There's a cricket may be able to get you a certain number of subscribers globally that makes the economics of this work go pick off some of these big, big sports with global followings and get those onto Netflix. That would be a better model in my mind than going to get adverts because we fundamentally agree on the degradation of content.
1: So, so if I were Netflix, I'd probably actually go after the other end of the market first. And, and, and what I mean is, they let's go again, let's rewind back to the start of the Netflix streaming the the original premise of Amazon was the everything store. You can't, bookstores are wonderful. You get personalized recommendation. You know the person that's there, but at the end of the day, the volume of books available in the store is limited to whatever the footprint of the store was. The long tail of available books and things you might wanna read is much bigger than can fit in a single store. So online, you've got a single digital interface and unlimited numbers of books to go read. That's wildly powerful. What Netflix did is take that a step further. Netflix said, hey, look, there's pretty much an unlimited number of movies and shows and whatever else you might want to watch. But critically, if you're on TV, the number of things that you can deliver at any one time is just one. It's whatever everybody is watching. So they gave you not just the unlimited selection, they gave you the ability to mix and match, not just deliver one, they could deliver the entire catalog at once. Well, what that meant is people would watch these weird shows that weird movies that nobody else had heard but were in niches and stuff they were interested in netflix launched with the stars catalog the entire thing stars channel could deliver one movie at a time netflix could deliver their entire catalog at a time there is a long tail think of all the 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 crazy stuff that red bull sponsors people jumping out of helicopters and people building their own planes and trying to fly them, and people uh, skydiving, all the extreme sports, darts, pool. I don't care what you pick, the long tail. Pick, pick uh, your double-A your baseball equivalent over in Japan. There is a long tail of this stuff that people like watching, and it's important to remember Netflix has plus or minus 200 million subscribers. 130 of them are not in the U.S., there is a long tail of sports globally that they could get access to. What I particularly like as a model, and I hate to say it because it hurts me, but Stephen, you'll get it coming from the UK. Just build in betting. With fan duels and whatnot in the US, fan duels and DraftKings in the US, we have seen an absolute boom in betting. A lot of that betting. Your multi-leg parlays does not happen in mainstream sports. It happens in dumb stuff. You're sitting around watching with your friends going, this would be funny. Why don't we go bet on curling? What do you know about curling? Nothing, but it would be fun. Have at it.
0: And you, do,
1: doing that, a that with deal. your
0: remote control, in re- now there's a technology of streaming content that's on a ser- on a content server versus streaming live t- TV, yes. I think Netflix could figure that out. I really do think they could figure that out. They've
1: got a brilliant tech team. They've got a bro- And And I'm not suggesting that Netflix go and become a gambling company. What I'm saying is if your goal is to get attention and you know that you can pretty cheaply negotiate this huge long tail of sports content and you know that many of the people that watch that would like it if they could bet at the same time there's a data integration that can happen with your gambling parlors where somebody can on their phone link it to what they're watching bet live through the gambling thing while they're watching it on netflix and not only does that bring a new type of content not only does that keep you purely in a subscription model people are just paying to watch it gives somebody a reason to go watch those sports and that is the attention that they're
0: trying to get I think the other dynamic here is if they're trying to compete in the U.S. market and literally get people to cut the cord, it doesn't take many things to come off cable networks before that model completely falls fat on its face. Look at NCAA March Madness. You get NCAA hoops off of... Um, the the cable channels and onto Netflix. That's still a pretty minority sport for everything, apart from the month of March. And you slowly take away some of these platforms. It's only then when you get to NFL does it finally capitulate. But if you've killed it by a thousand cuts on the way there, and the the subscriber or the um, viewer is faced with, I've got a cable package literally only to get the, the NFL, or I can get everything else on Netflix, the commercial pressure will then be on the NFL to go, nobody's really watching our games, they're watching everything else on Netflix, and they'll want the contract to go over to Netflix. So I, I can see an arc here where they just slowly gut their traditional competitors, whilst also maintaining the purity of their business model.
1: The, the only person you, you could imagine challenging them on this is Disney. Disney wholly owns ESPN. The challenge is for ESPN and Disney to go after this, one, they have to go get a long tail of content. They historically have not been set up to do that. They create IP. They don't license and buy IP in the way that Netflix has. Secondly, they've got a model ESPN delivered via TV, via streaming, etc they they've got an innovator's dilemma here. Netflix could go deliver all of this content at the same subscription price point they're delivering today. ESPN would have to go find a new price point, go find a new model. You don't they're want to going kill your traditional route to market. Yeah.
0: Do. Yeah. There's a lot they've got the foot in both camps problem of do I cannibalize this to go here? Do I can cannab- how fast do I cannibalize it? I've got my cable providers I've got to keep happy. I mean for me it's so obvious that Netflix gets into sports that I don't understand why they haven't. We've seen it with Amazon already putting NFL games on. So it's not as if you and I are having an original thought here on this podcast. And you know we should be running Netflix because we're that smart. Other TV executives and other big providers in this market have already seen this playbook. I don't know why Netflix is not doing this. There's no sports I, on Netflix, which for me is frankly insane.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 I would say hopeful but not optimistic for Netflix. I think advertising is is kind of the easy. We don't know what to do. Let's let's bring a couple extra dollars out of the existing user base model. Um my expectation is that's a pretty quick way to kill the product, kill the company. Um, that, that outcome is known. Hulu went through it already. Um, Hulu had a subscription plus ads model. Hulu is now wholly owned by Disney. Uh, not an accident. It, it's we're, we're, we're done. Um, I Netflix has the capacity, has the balance sheet, has the forethought, has the technology, the team, to go build on that subscription model, to build on that original promise of deliver the entire catalog all at once. It certainly has the brand presence. It certainly has the distribution, 190 countries that it runs in. It would be wildly disappointing to see them kind of throw in the towel, attempt to take the easy way out and and destroy something that took 25 years to build.
0: Can't think of a better way to finish the podcast. I think... We've covered it here. Some strong opinions. You've been listening to the Fat-Tailed Thoughts podcast, where Jared and I every week bring you the workings and makings of markets, fintech and crypto. Please click and subscribe. We'll see you next week.